Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name's Phil Whelans and it's a special Stop Hammer Time we've got this week. Uh, with me uh, is a radio producer, podcast producer, uh, journalist. It's Mark Sandell. Good day to you. Hello, Mark. Good day to you, Phil. Everything all right? Yes, not bad at all. And what makes this a special podcast is that we have with us a guest that we had nine years ago when we did live podcasts, and uh, it was always a thrill to do them with uh, players. And when we had this player, we thought we have to do this as a podcast, and a large bunch, bunch of people packed into a room above a pub in London as we talked to Julian Dix. Julian, great to see you. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm Really well, really well. Uh, yeah, that was a really good night, that po- that podcast. Cass Pennant came to that podcast. Yeah, I remember. It was good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, now, uh, you have a book out. Uh, it's going to come out next week, uh, the, the 8th, the day after the Europa Conference final. Uh, Julian Dix, uh, Hammer Time, Me, West Ham, and a Passion for the Shirt. Um, I got a PDF of the book last night. Uh, I've uh, dipped into a few chunks from it, trying to get a feel for it. And uh, um, it's really great, Julian. It's really great. Um, you know what? It's like, I think what we want from these books is like a sense of what it's like to be a footballer. You know, as fans, we're all going, what do they do all week in training? And, you know, what is it like being a footballer? And, you know, Quite a lot of footballers, they've got anecdotes. They've got anecdotes that they kind of trot out. But you don't necessarily know what it's like being a footballer day to day. And this book's great. There's just – it jumps back and forward in time a lot, which I really like. There are things that happen at West Ham that set off a kind of memory of something that happened at Birmingham. So you just jump right back in time and uh, talk about something that happened in Birmingham. So we get into you having to – leave home in Bristol at 14 and go to Birmingham, just how weird that is, and that you go home at the weekends, you play for your new school in Birmingham. You know, this is all the stuff we really want to know. It's great. What did you what did you sort of set out to do when you when you did this book? Did you did you look at any other biographies? No, not really. It was just a case of basically telling my story. Like I said, I left home when I was 14 um, and I went to school at Washwood Heath. I hated school with a passion, with a passion. I hated school, but it gave me a chance to get away from Bristol, which Uh I wasn't being a very nice boy in Bristol. Um, Mm -hmm. 
getting in trouble and, and stuff like that. So I went to, to Birmingham, lived, lived in digs with Birmingham, in Birmingham with young pros and, and apprentices. I was only 14 at the time. So obviously I was still going to school. Um, and I would play Saturday morning for my school side. I would get jump on the train. I'd go and play Saturday afternoon for my Saturday side in Bristol. I would play Sunday morning and I would play Sunday afternoon. Then I would jump on the train again and go back to Birmingham and obviously go to school for the week. Um, and sometimes I would go training after after school at, at Birmingham City um, with the like the, the youth teams at the time and, and stuff yeah. like that. So it was uh, it, it it was when I I was homesick. Don't get me wrong, I was fourteen. Yeah. First time I've been away from home, I was homesick. But it's something I wanted to do, so it was uh, it was good. It was a good upbringing for me. Yeah, uh, it, you know, like just one sentence in the book is you know really incredibly sort of profound and says a lot about sport because you sort of say basically just me and Ian Taylor from an intake of Birmingham youth players went on to have you know decent successful professional football careers that's two guys out of an intake of kids it's yeah. a you know that filter that's going on for kids those age they're being filtered and filtered and filtered and filtered so that you know you can basically look at two guys that came out of that whole intake that's really interesting do you, do you think that i mean what do you think a, a, a young player kind of shows to the to coaches and people that are trying to develop football talent? What do you think might have been seen in you? What do you see in young players? What you know, is it just that they're just miles better than everyone else? Or well, yes, yeah, sometimes obviously a kid stands out head and shoulders above above everybody else, but that don't mean he's going to make a footballer. Um, no. Mine was a bit different as I said I left home when I was 14 I was my manager at the time was Ron Saunders um yeah. I was guaranteed apprenticeship I was guaranteed pro um but again that still don't mean that you're going to make it as a footballer and uh, it's it's one of them back then it was about it was about working hard like I said yeah. I when I was 16 I signed my apprenticeship forms I was training with people like Tony Coulton, Mark Dennis, Pat Vandenau, Noel Blake, Mick Hartford, Robert Hopkins, Martin Cole. Um, yeah. And they will kick the shit out of you. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they, they, would, they would give you an upbringing like you've never had before. Um, so it, it was great from, from that point of view. So I had to look after myself basically from, from day one. Like I said, moving home was, was tough. But going yeah. training with them players was even tougher. Um, so again, is you could have all the ability in the world if you haven't got a work rate, you're not going to make it. Um, yeah. But again, it's when my dad was a semi-pro footballer in, in Bristol. It was oh, a was case he? of yeah, it was a case of like you have to every game you have to give a hundred percent every game. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of what's going on in your private life or anything like. that, Every game you have to give a hundred percent. We all have bad games. We all make mistakes. That's that's a part of football. That's a part of life. But there's no excuses for for not giving a hundred percent. And that that's basically every game I played. I can truly put my hand on my heart and go, "That's what I've done." Yeah. 
It's funny that there's two things that pull in two different directions because there's obviously incredibly hard work on the pitch, but uh, you're, you know, you are, if nothing not, known for your uh, for your uh, pre-game uh, regime of a couple of Mars bars and a couple of uh, bottles of Coke, uh, which are probably wouldn't stand the test of time in most fitness uh uh, fit, clubs have fitness coaches, uh, diet coaches now, don't they? There's actual diet coaches at clubs now, aren't there? There, there is, yeah. Like I said, with there's they eat properly um, and everything else. But again, back then it was it was a different era. Um, and I would sit in my bath. I'd sit in my bath with just my football boots on, um, with two cans <laughs> of coke and a Mars bar, and I could obviously all the boys would go out and do their warm ups and things like that. So. But I was lucky that I could just go out and just start smashing balls about. I, yeah. I was lucky that I could do that. And we had a player called Timmy Breaker who was a right back. Timmy used yeah. to used to do a warm-up for a warm-up. You know what I mean? Timmy right, right. would be warming up for an hour. Um, but if he had just went out and started smashing balls about, he would have pulled up. And I remember Harry was saying to me, look, June, you've got to start stretching now. I was like 24, 25 years old. You've got yeah. to start stretching. You've got to do this. I went, hey, I'm not stretching. I said, I know I will pull something if I stretch. You went, no, you've got to stretch. So one day we were in training, right? Everybody's got to stretch. So I started stretching. And then I start, I kicked a ball and I pulled my hamstring. <laughs> but But it was a moody hamstring. I didn't pull it. Just so I, I could say to Harry, look, look what you made me done. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't trade for two or three days and he never made me warm up again. So uh, <laughs> I, I got my way with that one. Julian, you've, you've, you've seen obviously both sides of it as a player and as a coach. And you said about your past in Bristol and you weren't, as you say, always it's a bit of a checkered past and all that kind of thing. Yes. You as a coach, how would you deal with a player like you? It depends how good he was. Now, we're, we're talking about players now that... And we had a player called, like, Dimmy Payet at West Ham. Dimmy was a magnificent yeah, yeah. player. Don't get me wrong, worked hard at training and everything else. Didn't always track back or anything like that. But when he got the ball, he made things happen. You yeah. know what I mean? He scored goals. He assisted. That's, that's for me, it's the same with me. At the end of the day, I would... I wasn't the best trainer in the world when we had to come to run in and, and things like that. Um, but managers let me not get away with, with many things, but they knew what they were going to get. I mean, I, yeah. I scored plenty, from a left-back point of view, I scored plenty of goals. I assisted plenty of goals. So, yeah. for me, I, I could... I Every game, something would happen. <laughs> Maybe I got sent off or, or whatnot. But if I would, I would score goals and I would assist... So I made things happen from my point of view. If it yeah. was just a case of I scored a goal every eight weeks or I have one assist every eight weeks, that's not enough. So yeah. you, have, you have to give and take in, in relationships. And that's what football is with, with a manager and a player. So cutting you a lot of slack, yeah. would, would you say? Cutting you a lot of slack because you delivered on the pitch. Yeah, but I, because I, I had to deliver on the pitch, yeah. yeah. And otherwise, they wouldn't have... Like especially Billy Bonds and John Bond um, and Ron Salt, they weren't allowed that. They would never no. have allowed that. So it was, it was, uh, that's, that is very true, yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder whether that that is a sort of you know what we were talking about earlier. What you, what you might see in a young player that makes you think, well, this guy's going to make the grade. Is that making something happen? You know, I one thing I always talk about when I talk about you, my favourite left ham, West Ham left back, left ham West back, <laughs> West Ham left back was that you changed a game from the left-back position. You know, mm-hmm. if we went a couple of goals down, it was as if you went, I'm not having this, and you, next time you picked up the ball, just started a run, just to see how far you could get, which was quite often to the byline and put a yeah. cross in, or sometimes to put a shot. And seeing a player, you know, we've had players, say too many names, but, you know, like, the the you feel they keep their head down, they do their bit of the job, and that's it. They seem very sort of coached. Yeah. Marko Arnautovic was someone who wanted to make the life of the centre-back he's facing up or the full-back he's facing He wanted to make their life difficult. He wanted to make something happen. That's what I liked about him. Di Canio, obviously. You, from the left-back position, would influence how a game made. And I think that is something you must kind of... That's got to be just an instinct. You almost can't teach that. That's just a sort of... Yeah, I remember when Ludo come in, um, I said, because Ludo's English wasn't very good uh, in the beginning. And I remember saying to Ludo, I said, Ludo, every time you get the ball, fucking throw it to me. Every time. Just throw me the ball. Because back then, your, your wingers didn't stay up. Up top, they they went back. Yeah. So, so every That's time right. I got the ball, Ludo will throw me the ball. Yeah, and I had probably 20, 30 yards in front of me. But what players do now, their first option is they go inside. My first option is, yeah, get the ball on my feet, run with that ball. Yeah, because yeah. They have, they have to come and close you down. And if they don't close you down, you just keep running. And when yeah. they do close you down, they obviously have to leave a player so you can play balls into people. But it was, it was a case of, Ludo, just give me the ball. I'm going to get it. I'm going to run as far as I can. Plus, I had a good left foot on me, so I could pick players. Yeah. Like people like Leroy or or Ian Dowie or John Hartson or McAvenny or TC. Um, I could pick them players out. So it was a case of, yeah, I could start an attack from, from defence. I've got, a, I've got a very vivid memory of you and a goalkeeper. Was like you, you, it was it was quite difficult to either get your head or chest on it to to get it back to Shaka so that he could pick it up. But Shaka sort of went to trap it with his foot and kick it, and you just went pick it up because <laughs> I think you just didn't trust him on the deck. <laughs> no, back then, the the, the goal is like Phil Parks, obviously Shaka and Ludo. Yeah. They they weren't great with their feet, not like the keepers nowadays. Yeah, it was really funny. You could hear it. It was louder than the noise of the crowd. You know? <laughs> um, but another, you know, another great thing about the book is that what you see about a sportsman is like, you know, there there are things that you, on the whole, are trying to do things you want to do. You don't want to do anything you don't want to do. But those times that things that are kind of it's sort of a bit out of your hands, you have to do it. So obviously, things like uh, Julian. Uh, meet me in the office afterwards. You think you're in trouble, but they go, you know, West Ham United's come in with an offer for you um, and we're going to take it. Similarly, you know, Liverpool coming in with things that are out of your hands, but also just things that you have to do. Like uh, there's a bit where you bemoan having to go and hand the team sheet to the ref before the game and just 
like a ball ache. Um, and that's another great thing about the book, which, I, as I say to everyone, is out next Wednesday. Um, go and get it. It looks fucking great. Um, but it is like that set, sort of sense of like things that you can control mixed with things you can't control. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice little bit when you talk about going to Canvey Island afterwards, you know, that just little short spell at Canvey Island. You really, really enjoyed it. And it was something you wanted to do. It happened. And uh, it was like an all round really good experience by the sound of it for you. Yeah, what it was, I obviously retired at West Ham when I was 29, and all I've ever wanted to do is play football. It's all I've ever wanted to do, Mm -hmm. whether that's for West Ham, for Birmingham, non-league, I just want to play football. And I had, I think, about six, seven months out the game, and I remember saying to my agent at the time, Rachel, my knee feels better. I'd like, not great, but it feels better. I just want to play football. So she knew Jeff King at Canvey. Um, and I went to Canvey. Um, and it was, I, I enjoyed it. We only trained twice a week, but mm-hmm. we, we had a good side. Um, and it was, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and you're playing against players that in non-leagues, obviously not as good as players that you're playing with in, in the premiership or things like that. But the opposing players because it was me, were trying to fucking kick me and everything else, which I thought was fantastic. Um, So it was, it was a case of (laughs) blood, thunder, guts. It it was, it was like a different game because you were just kicking proper shit out of each other. Um, (laughs) And I really, really enjoyed it. And, but unfortunately it was only, only lasted 12 games because of like my knee was, my knee swelled up again in, and things like that. So, but yeah, that was. If I could still play football now, I would, mm, because mm. I miss, I miss playing for West Ham at Upton Park every day. I think about it every single day. Right, um, right. And if I could still play now, <laughs> I I would, I would. Yeah. But Absolutely. unfortunately, I, I struggle to walk now, let, let alone play football. Julian, you've, yeah, you've always well, said yeah. that all you ever wanted to do was play football, and as you say, you still miss it now, that business of playing and everything. But famously, you've always said you don't particularly like watching football. Is that still the case? No. Yeah, it's still the case. I I get frustrated, especially as the game goes on. I don't mean through the 90 minutes, but you've got people trying to get people sent off and yellow cards and, and the manager's trying to get opposing players sent off. Oh, yeah. For me, yeah. there's, there's no room for that in football. It's, it's no. wrong. It's wrong on all levels. Um, and it frustrates me. It frustrates me that people who are not really injured lie on the floor and they roll over and they roll yeah. over and they roll over. Um, it was, I think the only person that ever done that was Paul Gascoigne and he was taking the piss when he, he got yeah. kicked and he rolled over. He rolled over about 20 times. But, yeah, it was yeah. a, but the players now, they do it on a regular basis. Um, and for me, it's, it's not right. And, yeah, no. I just find it all frustrating. I'm not – I'm not. A, don't get me wrong, I'm not – I've never been a lover of watching football because all I want to do is is play. And if there yeah. is a bit on the telly, my missus keeps saying to me, kick your legs still. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kicking every ball. But it is. it does frustrate me. It does. Since yeah. you mentioned – Yeah, no, I'm with you. I- since you sorry, mentioned, sorry, I was just going to say, sorry, since you mentioned Paul Gascoigne, Julian, um, you roomed with him, didn't you? How did that work out? 
Well, it didn't work out very good. Um, we were travelling with the under-21s. We were playing in um, Toulon in France in a tournament. And I remember Dave Sexton was the manager. And for some reason, he says, who wants to share with Paul Gascoigne? And no one put their hands up. And I'm thinking, it's the first time I've been with them. And I'm thinking, ah, fuck it, I'll share with So I put my hand up. Fucking wrong decision. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong decision. He's He don't sleep. He's obviously he's hyper. He's yeah. He's but he's such such a nice bloke. Honestly, he was such. He was it was great fun to be with. But he's a really 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 nice bloke. But he he was just nuts. Like things he would do, like flicking toothpaste at people out the window and stuff. Like I go, what are you doing? <laughs> I said they they look at. I mean, Paul was known not worldwide then, but he he was known. And they go, oh yeah, Paul Gascoigne. They flicking toothpaste at people walking by, yeah. and like I said, with the the toilet seat, he put firecrackers on the toilet seat and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> set them all off. But he finds that funny. I mean, I find it funny now. At the time, yeah. I I didn't. You know what I mean? He was he was just he was crazy, but he was such a nice bloke. Yeah, that's funny. So, um, you your sort of management and assistant coach and assistant manager and first team coach sort of experience is now really sort of far and wide right from West Ham United down to uh like um Haybridge Swift uh Wivenhoe um when you when you made a move into management was it was it totally unlike anything you imagined it was going to be or did you pretty much know what it was going to be you've played under obviously Saunders Bond Lyle Macari Bonds Redknapp lots of managers Sooness Evans yeah. um so you've seen a lot of managers at work so when you started doing it to yourself did were you surprised by was it harder than you thought was it easier than you thought well I was never going into management or coaching to be honest after because I yeah. retired when I was 29 I was quite bitter to be honest um, retiring, um, but my friends like lives in Wivenhoe, and the, the team was struggling, and they didn't have a yeah. manager. He said, "Can you come and manage Wivenhoe? They're going to go down." Um, so I went in there, um, and I think there was about twelve games, 10, 12 games to go. And he said, "Like we've got to win, I don't know, five or six in in whatever to to stay up." So, but I kept them up with three games to go, which was obviously was good. Um, yeah. Did I enjoy it? Yeah, it, it was okay. It, well, don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't turn around and go, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was okay. Um, but it's one of them. It, you treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah. Now, yeah. Listen, don't get me wrong. I got loads of bollockings when I played and I got <laughs> sandwiches thrown at me and pots of tea and, and everything else. But, at the end of the day, you, you, these these players they have to go to work. They yes. go to work, then they come and train because they want to. And then we play on a Saturday, and I I did uh, I did enjoy it. Um, I hate losing. Yeah, you know I mean, mm -hmm. I hate losing. I had to take when we got beat. I couldn't go in the dressing room for probably five minutes because my head was boiling. Um, <laughs> but. That that with an we, we kept them up. That that finished. So then I went to Gray's. Um, Gray's again. I I I enjoyed it as such. Um, but obviously the pro level is a, obviously a lot lot different. Um, obviously 
training's all structured. You train every day. And, yeah. and, and I, I do enjoy it. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't enjoy it. I do enjoy it, but I still I still find it frustrating. Did you, when you were, yeah. I, when, I find, when you were a manager, did it make you think about how you behave towards managers? Because, you know. No, I, not at all. Because right, Bonzo said, didn't Billy Bonzo once say he wanted to chin you and Harry Redknapp talked about, did it make you think, blimey, how this is, you know, I, I'm glad I haven't got a dressing room full of Julian Dix. <laughs> no, not at all, because if I did, we'd win the league. <laughs> <laughs> um no 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 i mean you're always going to have a player that's different from other people you know what i mean but like i said to you before as long as when he plays he makes things happen i have no yeah. because you have to give and take not everybody's whiter than white there is some fucking bad eggs and in, in things like yeah i have i have rows with majority of my managers um but mm -hmm. they all played me they all played me yeah. again for a reason because they knew what they would get. I mean, Billy Bonds probably had the worst of me because I, Billy was the fittest player I've ever known. And he was 42 years old at the time. And when yeah. he became manager of West Ham, I think he was about 45, 46. And he was still the fittest person because he used to love running. I hated fucking running. But yeah. because Billy was manager, that's what we'd done a lot, of, a lot in training was running. And... We used to do a mile round the pitch, which is about five and a half times. And you get people like Martin Allen, Matthew Rush, doing it in about five minutes and stuff. I took 13 minutes to do mine. So right. obviously Billy wasn't very happy. But I said, Bill, I said, let, let the players play, let the runners run. So yeah. it was a case of I had to um, make sure that when I played that I did make things happen. You said that your manager. Yeah, that your in man my head because, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say you said that your managers always knew what they were going to get, and one of the things they always knew they were going to get was one of the greatest penalty takers I've ever had the privilege of seeing. And I think a lot of West oh, Ham yeah. fans' memories are tied up in your brilliant penalty taking. I wonder what you make when you do occasionally watch football of the style of penalty taking you see now. There's so many more penalty shootouts, the little hop, skip, and a jump, and the no looks and all that kind of thing. Would your technique ever have changed? No, well, it did change because I remember we played Watford in in a cup game and it went to penalties and it was my penalty and I, I placed it um, and I hit the post and I said to myself, then I'm never, ever going to place a penalty again. I'm going to do it as hard as I can because for me, a professional footballer, should never miss the target from 12 yards. No. Okay, you can hit the post, you can hit the crossbar, whatever, you can hit the goalkeeper, but you should never miss the target. So I, I, I said to myself, if I hit it as hard as I can on target, nine times out of ten, I'm going to score. Because if I don't know where it's going, then the goalkeeper's got no chance to know where it's going. And that was it. From, from that day, I just hit him as hard as I could. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's you hit them so hard that even if the goalkeeper guesses right, he can't move his hand through the air in time to get it on the ball. Like, you know, that one that one against Manchester United where you whack it in twice. Um, yeah. Uh, Spike like not far off it. He's kind of in the right direction. He just yeah. literally cannot move his arm through the air in time to get it. And um, that's like the, you know, that's the thing about whacking it hard. You know, Noble's uh, technique was he would whack it, you know. Yeah. And, um, Ray uh, Stewart, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Stuart's parents were great as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So those those ones are odd, those uh, those kind of just gently placed ones. But the you thing know, is, you've got, point. like, the best players in the world missing the target. Like, Messi yeah. misses a target. Yeah. Ronaldo misses a target. For me, that's that should never happen. Should never happen. No. No, penalty is supposed to penalise the other team. That's why it's called yeah. a penalty. You should yeah. stick that away. That one of those, the Euros or the World Cup, somewhere around 2004, where like Lampard misses his, Gerard misses his, everyone misses, except the bloke yeah. plays in Germany. Um, yeah. I mean, Hargreaves, I think, stuck his in. It was disastrous. We missed nearly every one. And you're like, come on, lads, you're pro footballers. You've got to bang one of these away. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, you, you, have to, you have to have confidence to take a penalty. Now, yeah. I go back to, to Paul Ince. I mean, Paul Ince was so full of confidence in himself, bordering on arrogant, but he would never take a penalty because yeah. he was he was scared to take a penalty. Yes. So you, yeah. have to, you have to be, not a certain person, but you have to be confident that you're going to step up and you're going you're to score. Um, not yeah, yeah, not yeah. one of my penalties I thought I would ever miss. Um, no, but, no. Yeah, like you say, you do and it, it does happen. But you should never miss the target. No. When you put the ball on the spot, you just thought, well, this is a goal. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, you you were uh, on the coaching staff with Slav. Um, at the time, we had a fantastic season with a high finish, Dimitri Payet. And then things started to sort of go wrong. Do you, do you have any, do you have a sort of perspective on what sort of went wrong in that period at all from a coaching point of view or just from the well, player point of view? It's, I mean, listen, we're a West Ham fan. At the end of the day, ever since I've been there, they've been a yo-yo club. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And it things that like, even now they haven't changed. Yeah, um, absolutely. But we, we, had, we did have a great season. Um, and for, for like, obviously what happened with Dimmy, I mean, Dimmy mm. was a, listen, whatever people think about him, he was a magnificent footballer. Um, he was he was a good trainer. He worked hard, and what happened with when he didn't play? We missed him massively. No, I mean yeah. massively. He was one of them players that, like I said earlier, about he didn't always track back, but you knew what you were going to get from him going forward. He was one yeah. of them players that we missed massively, 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 and I can't I can't state that big enough. Um, but then obviously. We changed grounds in in everything else, and we've gone from, for me, the most one of the most iconic grounds in in the world. I mean, yeah, I, I love Upton Park, and I like for me, it's the best place in the world to play football. Um, to a stadium that's you could put four Upton Parks in, yeah, uh, yeah, and but I think I think the first four games we had to play away from home. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which did, yeah. never helps any any side. I don't care if you're Man City. It doesn't help any any side. So things didn't get off great from from that point of view. But Dimmy was a Dimmy was a big issue because he'll he, he was such a good player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Julian, I know we've only got you uh, for half an hour, so we better sort of uh, 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 wrap up. Um, 
But I do want to say that uh, the book, uh, Julian Dix, Hammer Time, Me, West Ham and a Passion for the Shirt, as I say, I just got a PDF uh, last night and I read like a couple of big chunks last night and dipped into some other bits this morning. Uh, and I absolutely will voraciously devour the rest. It's really good. It's really good. You know, like... I haven't read a lot of sports biographies. The Andre Agassi one is like one of the best sort of sports biographies I've ever read. But what they do is give you kind of an insight into what this job that only a tiny percentage of population can do, like 0.0% but loads of us go and watch what it's like to do that job. Um, it's great. It's great. The structure's great. The way it flashes back and forwards from from time at Birmingham right up to Upton Park, uh, the different sort of chapter headings, like the characters you met, all that stuff is really great. It's a brilliant, it's a great piece of work, Julian. So congratulations on that. And it's Thank out you. next week. And, and in a word, Julian, are it, we going to are we going to win in Prague? Well, it's obviously I've, I've been speaking to to West Ham fans and, and everything else. And for me, this is a cup final. It's it is yeah. a cup final. Whether it's a conference doesn't matter. It is a cup final, and it ain't been a great season for West Ham in the league. Um, but it gives something else to the West Ham fans. Is a cup yeah. final. And for me, again, it's I, my head and my heart. I think West Ham are too strong for them, but that also means that they have to go out and they have to dictate. You can't yeah. sit back against teams like Florentina that you think, oh yeah, we sit back and we're not on your counter attack. We're taking ain't going to happen like that. It's one game. Yeah. You have to go out. You have to give every player has to give a hundred percent, whether you play well or not. This and that depends on on the day because, like I said, we all have bad games, we all make mistakes. But for me, I think West Ham would be too strong from if they go out and play how they should play, which is Correct. when you get the ball, attack them, put them under pressure because we have we have some good good players. Well, if it goes yeah. to if it yeah, goes yeah. To, if it goes to penalties, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll miss you then, Julian. <laughs> we will. <laughs> this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name's Phil Whelans. With me have been Mark Sandell. Good afternoon. And Julian Dix. Thank you very much. Come on, you irons. Sports Social Podcast Network.